Wayne's World. Wayne's World. No, I'm just kidding. Hi, everybody. I'm Stacy. And I'm Coulter. And this is Any Crime at All. That's our theme song. Um, okay. So, uh, how's it going, Colt? It's going all right. A little bit tired, but... Yeah, me too. And uh, I don't know if you guys can hear it in my voice, but well, I've been coughing a lot today, so... Yeah. She sounds very rough today. Yeah. Sorry about that in advance. Um, and uh, one thing I would like to get out of the way right now, just in case the powers that be are listening, if I could hear the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Silk Sonic, and Alicia Keys do a song together, I could die happy. I don't need Alicia Keys there, but the other ones. I do. She's funky too. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And she's got a great voice. Yeah. And she's fucking sexy. She's pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, too hot for the husband she has. No offense, Alicia. <laughs> I just don't like them as people. So I love her. I adore her. I, I want her to adopt me, even though I'm older than her. They seem so... Uh, what's the word I'm looking Hoity-toity? for? Hoity-toity? Yeah. Mm. Like, fuck off. Yeah, I find he is. You produce for DMX. I find she's okay. <laughs> not anymore. No, not anymore. Um, so uh, today we're going to be starting... Um, a rather long one. I, I've put a lot of work into this one. Um, it's about the Beast of British Columbia, Clifford Olson. It's going to be, at the very least, two parts. Um, I think it's probably going to be more like three, based yeah, maybe, on the work. Maybe. Um, do you know, you don't know too much about Clifford Olson, eh? No, just basics, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so I am going to give a disclaimer, because there is... Uh, child molestation and child rape and child murder in these episodes and a lot of other sorts of crime. So just so you know, and also a disclaimer about our cats. Yes. Because you know, they're quiet constantly until we start recording and then apparently they need us desperately. So, so you might hear animal noises, but you know, deal with it. That's, the, that's our life. And hey man, you love animals. That's Everybody our, loves animals. That's our life, and we're welcoming you into it. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so what do you think? You want to get started? Yes, I'm going to hand most of this off to you. I'll just react. Oh, you will. Trust <laughs> me. I'll sit here and smoke cigarettes. All right. Okay, so as I said, this is about Clifford Robert Olson Jr., the Beast of British Columbia. So Clifford Robert Olson was born on January 1st, 1940 to parents Clifford and Leona Olson. He would eventually be the oldest of four kids. He had two brothers, Richard and Dennis, and one sister, Sharon. So I did read that, you know how every year when there's a baby born on the on January 1st, it's like a big deal? Yeah, okay, a so, New Year's baby. Yeah, so where they were living, the, ba the baby born first of the year got like all these prizes from this pharmacy, right? It would have probably at the time amounted to like a hundred dollars or something, but that was it was nineteen forty. So. Yeah. So Clifford was born at like ten at night, so all they got was like a little plaque and like a coupon for diapers or something. Yeah, and so. he, he was the first baby. No, no, oh. no, no. He wasn't. He was born at ten at night, so he was not. Oh, okay. The there first was, baby born I, in that day, yeah, okay. like for the first, yeah. I um, thought you meant it was just like a really cheap town and they were like... <laughs> oh, no, no. The the winners got like 
it was like up to a hundred dollars of stuff. So how mean is that though? Eh? Yeah. Like here, yeah. oh, here's all this stuff. Here's all this stuff. And here's your fucking coupon. Yeah. Well, I'm glad he got nothing. Well, so, yeah, I guess in hindsight. At the time, I mean, he was just a baby, but. Okay, so the family lived in Vancouver, B.C., right near the PNE, the Pacific National Exhibition. Uh, so Toronto has one of those two people, the uh, Canadian National Exhibition. Um, Leona was a homemaker of the highest caliber. She made their very meager earnings stretch. She was a type of woman who darned the socks and mended the rips for the hand-me-downs, and, you know, she could stretch a, a can of soup into a full dinner. Kind of a thing. So she was like you Marge know. Simpson. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Because Marge Simpson, little Simpsons quote here, said that she stretches out 12 bucks a week. That's true. Yeah. Because she, she stretches out Homer's meatloaf with sawdust. <laughs> I don't think, uh, I don't think Leona did that, but you know. <laughs> uh, so this is kind of interesting. I really enjoyed this. Clifford Sr. was a milkman. He drove one of the last horse-drawn carriages to deliver bottles of milk House to house very early every morning. Really? Wow. 1940. I thought that was way before. Wow. Anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. Still in a horse? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Eventually, Clifford Sr. did get a full-time job as a laborer in construction. It was better pay for his growing family, obviously. So during this time, World War II was raging in Europe, and Canada was sending troops in support of England. So Clifford Sr. signed up to fight. He did get furloughs home every once in a while, which I didn't know that happened. Really? Like, all the way from Europe. I didn't know they got furloughs home. That's quite interesting, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, he did get furloughs home, but they were few and far between. But every time he came home, he seemed quieter, a little older, a little smaller somehow. A far stretch from the boisterous man he once was. When he finally returned home for good, he spoke in a mere whisper that one had to lean in to hear. And wow. before this, he had had like a big booming voice. So it just took everything out of him. Yeah, pretty much. After the war, the Olsons took every opportunity that was offered to them through the government, you know? Yeah. Um... Uh, for the veterans and stuff like that. One such offer was housing in Richmond, B.C., where there was a lot of houses. Houses? But a a housey. Uh, a lot of houses being built for the veterans. And because so many men had been killed in action and stuff over there, there wasn't, the workforce wasn't huge, right? So Clifford Sr. had, like, a lot of work on his hands. He was, he was going to be raking in the cash. Um... So Clifford Jr. started school when he was five years old. Most of the kids in his class, you got a question? No. Oh, most of the kids in his class had grown up together. Remember, they had just moved to Richmond. So most of the kids in that first kindergarten class had grown up together, so they, they all <coughs> knew each other and everything. So he was sort of the odd man out. So because of this, because of this, I can't talk today either. The other kids kept their distance from him, and Clifford took this as rejection. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. He was also a stubborn, rude child, and he got into his first fist fight after only one week at school. 
This would become the norm for Clifford all through his school years. He would get into and lose many, many fights. He detested school and he didn't want to work. Like, do the work. Yeah, for course, school. yeah. So, he would pick fights with kids, but then he would lose. And then he would get mad that he lost. Like, stop picking fights, you idiot. I know he was only five or whatever. This is through school. Yeah. But, uh, you know what I mean? Like, Well, it's showing the rage. Yeah. In him then. So. Yeah, definitely. So, eventually, Clifford Sr. found a job in property management, which left him a lot of free time. He took this opportunity, he took this opportunity to spend time with his children. That's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Especially back in those times, you know, it was all the mothers yeah. kind of thing. Father uh, works, mother is at home. Exactly. So Clifford Sr. would take the kids to concerts, to the park, pretty much anywhere that made them happy. However, Clifford Jr. never seemed to have any fun. Didn't matter what they were doing. He had a scowl on his little face. He didn't seem to like anything they did, and he was always scowling. This all changed when Clifford Sr. took his eldest son to a boxing match, and Clifford Jr. loved it. Violence. Mm-hmm. It was all he could talk about for weeks after, so Sr. took him to more fights, more often. Soon, Clifford Sr. signed Clifford Jr., up for boxing lessons, and little Clifford excelled. Like, apparently he was, like, fucking good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He was finally in his element. It's it's interesting because the father just thinks he's being a good father. Exactly. That's all he thinks. He, yeah. Oh, I finally found something I can bond with my yeah. child. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Oh, yeah. So, Clifford Sr. and the boxing coach thought Clifford Jr. could be a real contender. He was that good. Holy like, they shit. wanted to start booking him into fights in his age range. Kind of a thing. I he, could have been a contender. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, when I read it, I was like, yeah, that's what I did in my head. <laughs> um, however, all Clifford Jr. wanted to do was beat up every boy he'd ever lost a fight to. And that's what he did. He had a... He had a physical list of everyone he'd lost a fight to. And once he learned how to box, he went and kicked the shit out of all of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, after this, he was no longer rejected or unpopular at school. Now he was feared, respected, and although most of the students really hated him, they would invite him to parties and things like that out of fear. Fear is a very strong thing. Yeah, no doubt. Soon, all thoughts of boxing went out the window, and Clifford became obsessed with girls and sex. See where this is going? Once you hit a certain age, right? Yeah. But there was one problem. Girls tended not to like him. Well, that adds something to the the layers here mm -hmm. of Clifford Olson. Yeah. And uh, he seemed to be... Kind of intimidated by girls. Couldn't really talk to them or anything like that. Which I know does... I mean, it happens on both sides with boys and girls, right? Uh, when Clifford found out he could verbally manipulate just about anyone, his fear of girls dissipated. He started to think of people as pieces in a game. And he could move them 
to wherever and whatever would benefit him. Yeah, I know some people like that. So, this would be a clear sign of psychopathy. I know you were thinking it. Yeah, definitely. So, psychopathy is defined as a mental antisocial disorder in which an individual manifests amoral and antisocial behavior, shows a lack of ability to love or establish meaningful personal relationships, expresses extreme egocentricity, and demonstrates a failure to learn from experience and other behaviors associated with the condition. Just thought I'd put that out there just in case anybody doesn't know. Well, it's always great to have a definition regardless. Yeah. Because you could be thinking one part of it, but you don't know other little intricacies of psychopathy. True. Very true. Good point. So, in 1956, Clifford left Camby Junior High. He was 16 years old. His parents were not happy with this decision. But after much talking and much manipulation on Clifford's part, he convinced them he'd pretty much learned as much as he could from school, and the rest of the stuff he'd already taught himself. The students and teachers were not sad to see him go, as you can well imagine from what I've told you already. Yeah, they, they were probably jumping for joy. Probably, they probably had a party. So Clifford went job hunting and got the first job he really even tried for, because he's such a manipulator, right? This was at, at Old Lansdowne Racetrack, where he took bets. Soon, he began taking bets on the side, too. But he'd mess with the records, so he rarely had to pay anything out. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an old mafia tactic, almost. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, going way back to betting on horses in the early 1900s. The old country? Yeah. <laughs> Watch Peaky Blinders. There's a whole thing about that on Peaky Blinders. <laughs> so no one ever really seemed to call him out for this, as he was a he was a pretty fucking intimidating dude. I mean, he was he was kind of big. Everyone knew he could fight, you know, and uh, probably just the presence he gave off, right? And the way he spoke, if he's a master manipulator. True. Yeah. Eventually, he got what he called his real job. He became the muscle for some drug dealers and participated in some muggings. When he had to go collect money, he'd rarely have to use violence as his silver forked tongue did all the work. Such as, you know, oh, buddy, I'm just doing my job too, blah, blah, blah. If you don't give me the money, then someone worse is going to come along. You know, that kind of bullshit. And, uh, like, he did that with muggings too. Like, he'd be mugging people and he'd sort of talk them into Agreeing with the mugging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, here, just take my wallet, man. It's fine. Um, yeah. So, he was pretty fucking manipulative. He went on to learn the fine art of burglary from some local addicts. Unlike the junkies, he was athletic and much more cunning and devious. So, he soon surpassed his teachers. Clifford would find a rich-looking Mark, a person, yeah. you know, follow them home, wait till the house got quiet and dark, and then break in and rob them. Then it was just a matter of taking his wares to the local fence and getting his money. He hit so many wealthy homes that the police initially thought it was the work of organized crime. Holy shit. He was, like, he was good at this. 
Yeah, so organized crime. Can you imagine how many houses that had to be for the cops to be like, yeah, it's got to be the mob. Yeah, and the mob in BC, like... Yeah, is there a mob in BC? Well, there's... There's mob everywhere. There's little bits everywhere, but especially at that time, you don't think of... When you think BC, you don't think mafia. Well, it couldn't. It doesn't have to be mafia to be organized crime. That's though, true. Either. Could just like bikers and, and bikers. Yeah. yeah. I always um, just go right to mafia. Yeah. 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 I just thought of like Canadian mafia. 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 <laughs> oh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> so it happened that cops started patrolling the wealthy areas, and this is how Olson was apprehended the first time. Police caught him climbing through a window. He was just seventeen years old. The judge decided not to try him as an adult. He wanted Clifford, Clifford to learn from his mistake on his own and clean up his act. So the judge sent him to New Haven Borstal Correctional Center. Now, I had no idea what a Borstal was, so I looked it up. I don't know if you know what it is. I've heard of it, but yeah, I don't Yeah, I've know. heard it, but I don't know what the fuck it is. So a Borstal is an informal name for an establishment in which offenders aged 15 to 21 could be detained for corrective training. Since the Criminal Justice Act of 1982, they have been replaced by youth custody centers, now known as young offenders institutions. Okay. okay. And apparently it's it's like a... So it's basically juvie. Yeah. And it's a, it, like the name Borstal comes from Britain. So, yeah. So Clifford's family was mortified that he had been caught because... They were like a really good, wholesome family, right? So they were mortified, but they did still do everything they could for him. He's still their kid. Yeah, family. But the father wouldn't talk to him. Anytime he called home. Give to the mom. It was the mom. Yeah. Remember Dan when Becky went and got married on Roseanne? I know. Kind of like that. Yeah. (laughs) So he absolutely fucking hated the authority of the guards and teachers, and he quickly began to bully and beat up the other kids. So, uh, trigger warning here. It was here that Clifford discovered homosexual rape, and he perpetrated it a lot, as he was bigger and stronger than most of the other boys. He would even offer some of the smaller boys protection in exchange for sex. Rape, pretty much. (laughs) And... You know, he's offering them protection. I won't let anyone hurt you. But even when he, even then, he'd pass the boys around if it benefited him in some way. That's, uh, that's gross. Yeah. Such a sick fuck. Like, hmm. Then one day, while outside for their exercise time, Olsen simply climbed the fence and made his escape into the woods. <laughs> that's simple. Yep. That's... Literally, how simple it was. He just climbed the fence and see ya. He made his way to the waterfront where he stole a motorboat and attempted to make his getaway. So apparently, Clifford Olson was very lacking in seafaring abilities. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way you said that. (laughs) Sure, he was fucking gunning it. But he was hitting rocks and logs and scraping over sandbanks and shit. Like, he just <laughs> just sucked. The police were on him very quickly in police boats. 
And obviously, they know how to fucking drive a boat, right? <laughs> I put here, much better drivers, as most of them had a lot of experience on the water, because most of them owned their own boats anyway. Yeah. Being where they lived, you know? Um, and they surrounded him. They fired one warning shot into the water, and Clifford stood up, put his hands on his head, and grinned maniacally at the cops. I put here, like, no fucks given. Yeah, there's a, there's a sign for the future right there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, uh, I keep going up too far. Sorry, guys. I'm not good with the pewters. Um, after his failed escape attempt, the judge sent him to Haney Correctional Facility, the first of many prisons he would be in. Here, Clifford was no longer a big, big fish in a small pond. Now he was a guppy in an ocean of sharks. Clifford Olson, I like that, by the way. Like, I'm real proud of that, that I wrote that. Thank you very much. The guppy line? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clifford Olson no longer ran the show. Sure, he could fight and most likely win, but after his escape attempt, he was labeled a troublemaker, and the guards kept him in a cell as much as possible anyway. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, obviously. Yeah. With the escape issue. Yep. Excluding meals and exercise times. He soon learned that if he abided by the rules which, you know, pissed him off that he had to do that, he got more freedom. The other inmates seemed to detest him, so figuring he wouldn't make any inroads with them, he decided to become an informant. That's uh, right. A prison snitch. He became a fucking rat. Fuck. Yep, gotta love the rats, eh? Of course he became a prison snitch. He's yep. the perfect type. Yep. Notice that everyone, no matter where he goes, they all detest him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone. Like, fuck. So, Olsen had been sentenced to two years, but that was shortened to a little over a year because of the information he fed the guards. He got all the poop on hidden weapons, drug dealing, etc. If any of the inmates had have found out, Clifford would have been up Shit's Creek Sands Paddle. Well, for sure. You know? They, they don't like... Fucking rats and shit like that, so... Eventually, he was released from prison. With nowhere else to go, he went back to his family. Yeah. For a very short time, because they no longer trusted him. And didn't really want him around. Which, can you blame them? After all that bullshit. Yeah. So, he decided to move on. Although, he was not allowed to leave BC. Uh, because of his probation, obviously. He ended up in New Westminster, and within a few weeks, he was back in jail for burglary. Back to his old ways. Yep. This time, he was sentenced to almost a decade, and was sent to Old British Columbia Penitentiary. It's pen time. This prison made his last incarcerations seem like fucking vacations. After all, it was a maximum security prison. The worst of the worst are sent to max Well, of course, yeah. Places, right? Of, so, of course the worst are sent to the max. Yeah. Yep. He was placed in a cell with a serial rapist named Gary Marcoux. Already just love this guy, don't ya? And they became friends. Well, on Gary's part, anyway. It wasn't long before Gary was giving up secrets to Clifford, because Clifford had that silver tongue. He was such a manipulative fucking prick. Marku told him about the rape and murder of a little girl that he did, but wasn't charged with. And Olsen decided to rat out his quote-unquote friend in order to get time off of his sentence. 
However, 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 when Clifford was taken to the warden, he was sorely disappointed. The warden informed him that without evi evidence, this was all hearsay, and meant absolutely fucking nothing. Clifford vowed to get harder evidence for him. Isn't this lovely? Like, <laughs> what, a, what a slime ball. Just all of it. Like, he's a slime ball. This Gary Marcoux is a piece of fucking garbage. Like, ugh. Anyway. So one night, old Cliff put his plan into action. He procured some toilet wine or whatever shit they make in prison, you know, and uh, offered some to Marcoux, who was soon three sheets to the wind. Clifford got a writing utensil and a piece of paper towel and had Gary write out his confession, signature and all. Why this dude would do this, even drunk? That is ridiculous. How did he convince him to do that? He was that damn good with the words, man. Like, fuck. Apparently he was, like, extremely charming, too. So, which, I mean, you look at his picture. Like, seriously, people look at his picture when you get a chance. I don't see no charm there. Of course, I know what, he, what he's done, but... Just a slime Anyway, ball. yeah. So, armed with the written confession, Olsen took it to the warden, being the good guy that he is. He was then placed in solitary confine confinement for his own protection. Meanwhile, Gary Marcoux was sentenced to life and moved to a different prison. <laughs> yeah. And so it happened that Olsen's sentence was shortened to just over two years, and he was placed back in Genpop, general population for those not in the know, where the other inmates spat at him, pushed him around, you know, that kind of thing. He was a rat. Like, he knew he had to get out lest he be killed. Yeah. In the wake of an inmate uprising, or riot, if you will, the prison staff were forced out with Clifford hot on their heels. He hid in a closet until he heard the guards go back in to curb the chaos. Then Clifford calmly walked out of the prison, then ran for his life. Oh my god. <laughs> so because of the riot and because the warden couldn't believe Olsen would attempt an escape after all he'd done to get his sentence shortened... Yeah, that seems really stupid. Yeah. It was days before there was even an alert put out and checkpoints put up. But by this time... He was gone. He was in the clear. Yep. Over the next few days, the police tracked down his family and asked for their help in finding their son. His mother, with tears running down her cheeks, pleaded for Clifford to give himself up. Clifford Sr., no tears, said, He knows what he's facing... Uh, sorry, said, quote, he knows what he's facing. He may have to serve 10 years if he doesn't give himself up. I hope that they get him before he does something really bad. He's done enough bad already, unquote. Okay, well, so he, his father at this point is just like, I'm done with you. He, and he, he knows what he's capable of, I yeah. feel, yeah. Yeah. Having been in the war, he's seen the look on certain people's oh, faces. Oh, no doubt, right? Yeah, he probably learned to pick up on that energy. Yeah. and Yeah. So this would be the last time his fam family ever acknowledged him. They never spoke to him again. Nothing. So back to Clifford Jr. He had no fucking intention of being locked up again. So we broke into a few places, stole some camping gear, warm clothes, food... He was going to hide out in the wilds of B.C. till the heat died down somewhat. The police were still looking for him, though, and they had help. 
in the form of Rinty, the police dog. Oh, okay. As Olsen was running from the cops, he jumped into a thicket of blackberry bushes until he figured the police had passed him by. He had scratches and punctures from the bushes, you know, all the thorns and shit like that. Yeah. But he was, like, holding his tongue, like, trying to remain hidden, right? But he thought he was pretty much in the clear. That is, until little Rinty jumped into the bushes with him and started barking and biting and ripping at him. The police surrounded him in a second, and they had to actually cut the bushes down to get to Clifford. That's how thick Oh, wow. It was. So he just had to sit there and wait for them to cut it down. While the dog is biting him and shit. That's great. Yeah, I know. I was like, go Rinty. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Right? Again, he was hauled back to old BC Penn. But only one year was added to his sentence. This time, the inmates treated him even worse than before. <laughs> and Clifford knew it was only a matter of time until violence befell him. Having exhausted his first two attempts to get out, he needed a new plan. Olsen took one of his razors and slashed his wrist. Nope, not for suicide. Unfortunately. However, the next morning, he called a guard into a cell and pointed to his toilet. Here, the guard saw urine, which was normal, but there was blood mixed with it. Olsen was told he'd have to go to the hospital. <laughs> not the infirmary there. They don't have the right shit to do was, the test there, right? a little bit of a smart move. <laughs> it really is, I know. You don't want to give him any credit, but it's kind of brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Later that day, or the next, it wasn't clear when he actually went, Clifford was brought to Shaughnessy Hospital for tests. As he was being wheeled around, he was studying everyone and everything, planning his next escape. When he was finally left alone, Olsen knew the time is now. I got to go now. He stole another patient's clothes and calmly left the hospital. This time, Old Cliff had a plan. He was going to head for the States. So he did his usual thing. He broke into some houses to steal some food and clothes and blah, you know. But this time, he also fucking stole a gun. Like, just a pistol, but still a gun. He made it to a national park and was walking on a trail when he came upon two teens chatting. He pulled out the gun, and he was, like, waving it around crazily, you know. But he never actually pointed it at them, which these two teens uh, wanted to make clear in the police report that he didn't actually threaten them or anything. Oh, okay. Then he started yelling at them for fucking up his plan. Then he ran away. Imagine these two kids. They're like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) Who is this guy? (laughs) (laughs) So the teens took off to find a phone booth. Cell phones weren't a thing yet, kids, and called the cops. After hearing the description of the gun, the gun-wielding weirdo, the police kind of figured it might be Olsen. It wasn't long before cops swarmed the area on both sides of the border. Olsen laid on the forest floor, covered himself with leaves, and held the pistol in one hand. If a cop found him, Olsen would take him out and then, like, book it, right? Or try to. But, once again, it was a four-legged cop. Oh, no. Tiger. Did he... That found him. Olsen didn't want to hurt a dog for just being a dog. So he just surrendered. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, by the way, Tiger was American. Olsen had crossed the border. 
Oh. Yeah. He crossed the U.S.-Canadian border, and he didn't even know it. He was taken to a local cop shop and processed before being hauled back to old B.C. penitentiary. Oh, my God. Maybe put him somewhere else at this point. Like... <laughs> But this time, the other inmates treated him a little better. They were pretty impressed with his escape attempt, and they wanted to hear all about it. So he had the trust of his inmates again. And what do you think he did? He became a prison snitch? He totally did. (laughs) You got it. He started ratting them out again to get time off his sentence. In time, he had the trust of the inmates, the guards, and the warden. Everyone loved old Cliffy? Like, he's just... It really is just a game with pieces for him. And he's just moving them where he wants them. Well, you can do that with people, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Excuse me, by the way. Old BC Penitentiary opened its doors in 1878 and was, by this time, in terrible disrepair. The roof leaked, the electricity was spotty at best, and the plumbing fucked up all the time. Of course, the inmates helped this along by shoving shit down the toilets, right? Yeah. Uh, So it came to be that entire wings of the prison had to be shut down. Some prisoners were sent to other prisons, and some were even released on good behavior. Clifford Olson was the latter. They released him on good behavior. Really? After all that? Just because of his his manipulation? Yep. Of course, in true Clifford Olson form... Booty burglarized. (laughs) (laughs) He was only out for a few weeks when he was stopped for impaired driving, and when the cops searched the car, they found evidence of break-ins and armed robbery, and they already had evidence of forgery and assault on him. (laughs) Back to old BC penitentiary he went. Oh my god, put him somewhere else. (laughs) And once again, he began to rat on his fellow inmates. By now, the population in the prison was quite small, so everyone knew who the rat was. Olson's life was in danger. He was offered early release again. This guy's a fucking horseshoe up his arse. After Clifford was released this time, he relied on the only really... the, the bleh, Did you get all that? No, I didn't. He relied on the only real skill he had. Blur- being a rat. Oh, being a rat. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I guess burglary was yeah, a was, skill he had. Yeah, and yeah. boxing. Unboxing, yeah. He never continued committing his own crimes, though, and eventually he was caught. <clears throat> Excuse me. Can you believe he was caught? They, they, I swear to God, if you say they sent him back to old BC <laughs> He was caught and sent to Prince Albert Penitentiary. Oh, thank God. <laughs> this was a low, medium, and maximum security prison. Right off the bat, Clifford was stunned at the illegal activity going on as he was placed in low security. So, like a broken record now, he became a rat. (laughs) At this point, he's probably just growing the teeth and, you know, the little ears and shit. And every criminal in BC hates him. Uh, Yeah, no doubt. So if every criminal hates him, and every woman hates him, and every man hates him, he's just hated. Everyone hates him. I picture him being, like, such an outward snitch, too. Like, just going up, hey, what, did you hear any scuttlebutt? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) He found out who all the drug runners were and gave the list to the warden. Soon after, there was a giant raid. 
Olsen was actually quite taken aback at the brutality of the guards versus the inmates and stuff like that. But he figured, whatever, better them than me, right? Yeah. Needless to say, need, <laughs> needless to say, all the gangs, dealers, and addicts were pissed off. And seeing as some of the guards were on the take, it didn't take them long to find out Olsen was the rat. He was cornered in an out-of-the-way place by a few associates of the people he'd fucked over, and Olsen was stabbed seven times and badly, badly beaten. But worse still, the blades were covered with human fecal matter, so Clifford spent the next few weeks fighting off infection and recovering from his wounds. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'd never heard of that before. Well, that's smart to do. It's very smart to do, but I'd never ever heard of it before. It's um, like on The Walking Dead. Remember when uh, the oh, putting the Negan's people put the zombie shit on yeah, the true. on the arrows. True. Yeah. 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 And uh, tribes in like Africa and South America used to put like the poison frog shit on their arrows and stuff like that. I like how you uh, give a real example, and I'm like, "Hey, Negan from Walking Dead." <laughs> <laughs> That's not real. Um, yeah, so uh, he was, like, uh, fighting off infection and recovering from his wounds, and, uh, you know, it's too bad he recovered. But anyway, by the time he was fully healed, he was up for parole. The warden wrote a letter to the parole board on Olson's behalf. It stated how big of a help he'd been, and that his life would be in danger if he stayed in prison. Somebody, please, cue the violins. You know, like... I, I was trying to think right there. Can I do a violin noise? And then I realized I can't. So, again, Clifford Olson was a free man. Now, he did slip up a few times after this and found himself in various jails and prisons. But when he got busted for burglary, he was again sent to Prince Albert Penitentiary. And he was again afraid for his life. So he escaped pretty quickly. In August of 1980, Clifford was 40 years old, and he'd just rented an apartment in Surrey, B.C. at the new Surrey Village Apartments. He began to do odd jobs like gardening, construction, plumbing, etc. He had a semblance of a normal life. And here is where we're going to stop for now. Okay. And we will pick it up next time, because... We're all going to have to gird our loins a little bit here, okay? Because there's some nasty, nasty shit coming up. Oh, God. I I have an idea of what it's going to be. Nasty. It's nasty. Okay? So, uh, yeah. So just keep that in mind. When you listen to the next, uh, when you go to listen to the next recording, I'm going to say it again. This involves molestation, child rape, child murder, and lots of other nasty shit. So, just be ready. Okay, Coulter? Uh, okay, I'm ready. I know it's really hard for you. I get angry. Anything to do with kids. I mean, it's hard for anybody to listen to anybody. Anything to do with kids being hurt and stuff like that. But. Yeah. I, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I haven't heard Clifford Olson covered really, really well. So I wanted to do it. And, uh. Yeah, I'm ashamed that he's Canadian, too, by the way. So, just saying. Oh, man. That's going to be rough. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool. 
So, do you have anything you want to add? Do you, uh, what, we, what's going on with this music thing, bud? We got a music podcast coming up, uh, just so we don't have to just talk about crime all the time. Gee, um, I would love it. Uh, I'll talk about crime all the time, but Coulter gets like, can we please do something else? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to, we're going to record this week at some point. The first episode will be centered around Guns N' Roses, the the drama of Axl Rose over the, the years. The drugs of Guns N' Roses. The drugs of Guns N' Roses. Um, and the fucking awesome, some of the most awesome guitar work you'll ever want to hear. Yeah. Uh, we will get to that. We'll post information on that. Uh, to find information on that, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And... We love you guys. Yeah, we do love you. And, uh, hey man, the hockey playoffs are coming up. Leafs are in it. We're fucking in it to win it, boys. I hope so. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like to get my hopes up for anything. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. But, I mean, I've been, maybe next year, for 40 years, so. <laughs> you know what? I can't stop now. <laughs> for, for any hockey fan listening, this is an interesting fact. We're struggling Leaf fans. We have been our whole lives. Yeah. The last time the Leafs won a playoff round in 2004, I looked at some of the people who were on our team at that time. And the oldest player on the team, who is now 59 years old, <laughs> Ron Francis was on that team. Oh, Ronnie Francis. We picked him up at the trade deadline and he was there the last time we won a playoff round. And he's now 59 years old. Wow. Okay, that's embarrassing. Yeah. And, and right now people everywhere are like, I thought this was a crime show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. We will see you fuckers later, eh? Have a good one. Yes. Have a good one. <laughs> and go Leafs, go!